Hello everyone, this is MKG, or Magical Kings Game of Thrones? <laughs> Does that make sense? That's, that that's, that true. works. That works. True. True facts. Fact checked by Patriots. Um, I'm Dr. Catherine. I am a scientist and also an internet person. This is my co-host. Introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Lexander. Uh, uh, I am non-binary and use they, them pronouns. Like, I, I'm so awkward. I don't introduce myself on my show anymore. So <laughs> I'm like, how do you do an introduction? I don't actually know. I really, I've really completely forgotten. Like, I just kind of stumble my words away. Like, I forget to introduce people at parties and stuff. Like, I went, yeah. to, <laughs> I went to this big thing with all my friends like a couple of weeks ago and like, I brought Marta there and I truly didn't remember who'd met them, who hadn't. Um, I just kind of sort of stand there and then eventually I'm like, do you know who this is? And it's like, <laughs> just made it make it work. I like, I don't know. Bit awkward. Yeah. It's like after, after you've changed your name a couple of times, it's like, well, what is my name? I don't know. Um, so hi, I'm Kat, Kat Strixen, Catherine. My, my partner's laughing at me and failing to introduce myself. Um, I use she, her pronouns. Um, and I do paleontology sometimes, and also I do this podcast, which is a podcast that used to be about just trans stuff, and now it's about trans stuff and also other things, like uh, the Game of Thrones prequel show, House of the Dragon, which uh, sounds sort of like a drag house, and I will choose <laughs> to believe that it is, a it is a show about ballroom, which is just incredibly antiquated. Well, there are so many wigs involved, so... Exactly. I mean, everyone's everyone's waist is snatched. Everyone's got those, like, <laughs> not the greatest wigs on. Maybe they should have learned to use some human hair wigs. But, you know, it's hard to get human hair wigs that are, like, white dread... Like, bleached dreadlocks. Are they real wigs? I don't know. Um, it caused a lot of outrage at the time. Um, Wait, what did? The House of the Dragon. Outrage, really? I yeah. must have missed this. How did how did outrage? Okay, well, get this. In it's the pat it's set in fantasy world, but there are black people. Oh my god, were people really upset about this? Here's okay, listen oh, yeah. here. Okay, <laughs> you you've made either a spectacular choice or a terrible mistake in choosing to have a conversation about House of the Dragon with me, uh, because I have like. <laughs> a near encyclopedic knowledge of many things uh, related to A Song of Ice and Fire. And so here's here's the thing. It makes perfect sense for the Valarian family to be black because they're a seafaring family. Like, the fact that they're a seafaring family is how they survived the Doom of Valyria because all the rest of the Valyrian families were, like, there when it exploded. You know, the Targaryens left because there was a, a spiritual vision of some kind of, a, of the Doom coming so they left but the valarians survived because they were at sea also the summer island people are not very far from there so clearly they would have had more opportunities to marry with like other groups and also we also just originally don't have any proof that the uh, valerian freehold was uh, racially homogenous anyway 
Um, so just multiple reasons why that's a stupid thing to be angry about. <laughs> I do remember there being some outrage about the misogyny. I, I, there's been a lot of people this season being like, wow, like this show is just, you know, Game of Thrones as usual doing its misogyny thing. And I'm like, bro, this show is taking place like 172 years prior to the show that we've already seen. Like, did you think that the society was going to get more progressive on a rewind? You know, the true, the, the immortal science of Marxism-Leninism dictates that the science will progress. And when the class forces of uh, the Targaryens and the small folk meet, there will be a bourgeois revolution. And where is that? When's, when's that happening? Uh, true, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I was actually quite dis- I'm one of those, I'm also one of these people that actually read too much about Song of Ice and Fire. So I was the one person who was like, why is everyone complaining about black people? That Jalabajo wasn't in the main series. Like half the black people that were in the books weren't in Game of Thrones true. itself. Like, <laughs> if anything, the show's been more white than the books so far. Like, Yeah, like uh, by far, for sure. Yeah, the, the the misogyny thing I also like. I think it's quite interesting because I feel like Game of Thrones, especially when they departed from George R. R. Martin's vision, did have a lot more problems with that. Like I think the Sansa rape in season five was just unnecessary and didn't really make sense for the character or anyone there, rather than the shock value, especially because they just had like Theon sit there and watch. Like why is uh, anyway. But like in terms, yeah, for shock value. Yeah, whereas I feel like the real problem they have with the feminist angle in House of the Dragon, because to be clear, listener, if you've not seen the show, which you should do, is quite good. Um, it's mm-hmm. there's there there is a lot of feminist commentary in there, and sort of the angle is sort of how women are treated in the society and the double standard. But also like, it's sort of it is kind of got some white feminism in its bones there a little bit. Like it's you are meant to be like. The, the biggest the biggest struggle for women in this show because we are the point of view is a princess and a queen um mm-hmm. the point of view is ba- basically like you know the the most powerful queen can't do what the king would rather than like you know systemic issues and that's just going to happen when your focus is on like a royal family and stuff and there's a lot more to it than that and these are the themes throughout the show and like, i think i think it does a quite a good job in general with a lot of that stuff i do think they did um, Alison Dirty a little bit. I don't know if you agree with really? that. I think they simplified her a little. Like, they sort of, it feels like at some point they were like, cause, so they had this moment um, where they almost, the tension that's been building between these two halves of the family sort of builds and builds and builds. And then it comes to a point where King Viserys comes down and basically tells them all to, to shut the fuck up and get along. And then they yeah. they have this moment where they're all basically friends again, and Alison and Rhaenyra are basically like giving each other eyes and being like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna be besties again with subtext." And then, um, <laughs> uh, and then they have, and then they have this that moment where like she, she just misinterprets what the king is saying and decides, "Oh, actually," and it confirms all her pre-existing beliefs. And I. I feel like for a sh- for a show and with a, with a reputation that the world has for complexity, it does feel like that was a bit too easy to sort of undo that. But maybe that's just me wanting more because I did have hope because I, having come out of Game of Thrones, the ser- the original series TV series, 
being like, fuck mm. this, fuck these people. They've ruined yeah. my favorite book series. Um, <laughs> having I'm co- mad, like I was mad. Exactly. I mean, I've been mad since literally the finale of season four, like back when people didn't think they should be. I was like, Tyrion, like what What the fuck? Why, why is the Shay storyline like this? Why is the Tyrion storyline like this? We're not supposed to feel sorry for him at this point. All this stuff. Like, yeah. I was big mad. Um, and I've been big mad ever since. Coming out of that, <laughs> I was like, I'm never following this again. So I do have a copy of Fire and Blood, but I haven't read it. So I was like, I didn't know what was going to happen. And in the initial scenes, I did get up what the actors were putting down, Ari, Alison and Rhaenyra. I was looking for lesbianism. And so I was probably more invested in Alison than I should, given that the producers said something to the effect of like, Alison is women for Trump and Rhaenyra is punk rock. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so I haven't actually read fire and blood but i know a lot about it um uh it's really not very detailed first of all so like basically like most of this season came from like two whole chapters in in the book like um as they're just kind of saying like and then this happened and then like a couple years later this happened so like all these character moments and like personality uh these things are really getting fleshed out in the show in a way that they ca- they kind of just aren't in the books as it's it's like a historical record written by maesters uh and and also like a jester throws in there like oh actually the maesters didn't tell you that these people fucked you know like it's all about that unreliable narrator kind of thing as well but in the book uh alicent is a huge bitch um uh she is a lot less sympathetic like i agree in some ways that you've simplified it a lot when you take it where they're, they're like, oh, we're going to be friends now. But then like one misunderstood conversation with Viserys has her thinking like, oh, he's now reversed 20 years of his plans. Right. Um, but it, it it does kind of render it more like sad that they end up in this situation Yeah. Uh, where they're opposed to each other as opposed to like in the book. Where we're at in the show is like uh, Rhaenyra just had her uh, baby prematurely and it died. And like before she went into labor, Alicent in King's Landing, like they were talking about Rhaenyra and she was basically like, hmm, maybe the cunt will die in childbirth. Like she was straight up like, I hope she dies. You know, like it was, uh, she's way worse <laughs> in the book. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I guess part of this is just like the sort of idea, of, like the the this of the the George R. R. Martin Fire and Blood vision of like fake history, right? It's going to be written up like sort of more yes. black and white and more like history is written by the victors. Um, and spoiler alert: in this case, written by the Maesters, who are even more biased. That's true. Uh, I mean, spoiler alert for those who don't know the history of the world is that um, Rhaenyra's side will win, but she will also die. Um, mm. so <laughs> that should pick sort of color how it comes across. Um, but yeah, no, that, that makes, that makes sense. And like, obviously I fucking hate Hightower and I fucking hate, um, oh, who's that other guy? Kristen Cole. Kristen, Kristen fucking Cole, that little bitch. Oh my God. What an asshole. God, I hate him so much. And I loved him. Like, so here's the thing. One thing that I will say for the show is, um, it really does pull off the female gaze, uh, in my opinion. And this is one of the things that I like the best about the show. It has uh, multiple episodes directed by women. And in particular, the episode where, you know, (laughs) full spoilers, um, (laughs) Kristen Cole uh, and Rhaenyra have sex. Um, 
that episode was so good because I felt like it really did capture what it's like to be like a teenage girl, like going out, you know, doing shit you're not supposed to be doing, drinking, like hanging out with people you're not necessarily supposed to be hanging out with. Listen, I was not a good child. All right. Making out Um, with your brother. Making out with your uncle, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, So, yeah, she but then she like comes back to the castle and she's like all blue bald and horny and shit. So she wants Kristen Cole to have sex with her. And like, I loved their scene together um, because it both really portrayed like some, like what I view as like a realistic moment. Like, like I almost kind of like laughed and like really resonated with the scene because uh, you know, they like take, they each have to take their own shoes off mm. and they sort they're sort of each taking their own clothes off which i felt was like way more realistic to this kind of moment and it being like awkward to be undressing in front of someone as opposed to like the typical passion that's displayed where they're ripping yeah. each other's clothes off and throwing each other on the bed like this was much more what i felt was just much more grounded in reality and they like came into the moment as like equals you know like where she really wanted it and he was feeling conflicted like that's the other thing that was so great about that scene was how well they displayed his internal conflict you know she's on she's undressing him initially taking his pieces of armor off because it's necessary for that to be done with another person um it's also not the first time she's ever uh, she's ever done that uh it's not shown in the film but it is implied uh, when they go out in the woods together during that hunt episode, because mm. at the end of the night they're hanging around the fire and he's not wearing his armor, um, and you necessarily would have had to have had to have help. Yeah. Um, so she—that's something that I thought about initially when I saw that episode. Was like she helped? She took his armor off. Like that's risque a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but he lays down his white cloak. Like, that's a detail that, I that really noticed. That symbolism really hit me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, she takes it off of him, and he's like, no, like, I have to be the one to make this choice to set it down. And he, like, repeatedly throughout the throughout the scene is, you can see the conflict, and you can see him choose and choose and choose again to continue going through with this with her. Um, But it's, t- <laughs> I loved it. It was great. It's perfect, okay? However, it's tainted in, in retrospect because what was he thinking was he sitting there was he sitting there like oh you know what it's fine that i'm breaking my oath we'll just run away to essos later like bro what did you think was gonna happen here i'm so angry <laughs> he's been done in by his own horniness this is one of the things like i really I, I love that scene too in a lot of ways like i feel like the, the first time most people have sex it is like equal parts awkward and hilarious rather than like yeah. steamy and like all that stuff like in the movies but like <laughs> the taking off this, this with the white cloak, especially if you know the significance of the white cloak to these people, it's a big symbol. And like he's obviously really like much more shy about it. And like the actor's fucking phenomenal job because like he like you with him all the way and like she chose him personally. He's so hot. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Fabian. <laughs> Did you see he posted that um, Mean Girls thing on his Instagram as well? A picture of uh, Kristen Cole. He's like, don't trust him. He's a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I did not see that. That's hilarious. It's so good. Um, yeah, and then like, but like, when his his turn is also quite belie- believable as well. Like, I find it like very like I hate him as a character for that, but like, I completely see it. Like, you see so much in like real life and stuff. This sort of feeling that you're owed someone because you've been affectionate mm-hmm. towards them, and I think it was like 
under the comment of the feminist themes of the show, like they could try to make him sort of the incel character and it sort of works. Like, yeah. Although this also plays into the other thing that I want to bring up in regard to Kristen Cole, which is sort of the way that the show treats gay people and the way that Kristen Cole's character um, did the bury your gaze for the show. He just fucking iced him. He did. He did. He did it so quickly. And like I've read that in the book, the, they last longer and they go out in a normal way rather than like immediately this gay person turns up at the party, immediately starts being a sassy gay to the one straight guy and gets his ass kicked and dies. Like it seems a little bit. It <laughs> was really abrupt sort of... for sure. It is very abrupt, and I feel like this sort of aligns as well with the way that they treated Loras after George R. R. Martin sort of stopped, stopped consulting on Game of Thrones as well. Where like all the sort of interesting things about him stopped happening, and he was just like, "Oh, look at this! He likes dick," and that's like his only character. Um, I do think they did. I, they, I do think Lena was done. Was Lena that was done better than that? But still, mm-hmm. it didn't. It was a bit. It, it 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 did strike me that if you had more gay people in the writers' room, that scene would not have happened the way it did. Yeah, it really like is too graphic for what it is you know like in the book um they die at tourney um uh you know in this version they cut they cut the uh festivities short because of this murder but in the books they have this like several days worth of uh celebration and tourneys and dances and music and all this bullshit um and it's in the course of their i i don't know if it's a melee or if it's a joust um but things get heated more within the context where you could excuse it as like, you know, a man's blood being up, you know? Um, so it that's another thing that also makes it like, why did he just get also just get away with the murder? Like, like clearly we we're supposed to surmise that Alicent took his side in whatever like whatever Viserys being like what the fuck bro like you why did you ruin my daughter's wedding man like you must you like you really need to have had a good reason for that um it's like more permissible the way that it happened in the books that I could understand him remaining in his position but like I don't really understand what you know aside from like the most it, it feels like just a more egregious abuse of power that Alicent got him away with murder and kept him as her sworn shield after that point. Um, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And like, honestly, that's this is the one part where I think, I think generally the time skips are used all right on this show, although it's something get quite confusing because it does scan a lot of time periods. Especially when they yeah, change- Yeah, I did not enjoy that time skip in particular. Right. Especially when like, they change the actors and the actors look almost exactly the same. It's like, well, why did you have to change the actors? Um, not that I'm complaining to have about having a non-binary lead because I'm very much not, and I love them in this I role. love Emma Darcy so much. So good, they're so good. Um, I don't think Emma Darcy could have played a 14-year-old. That's true. Do you know what I mean? That's true. And I also don't think that Millie Alcott could have played, like, a 40-year-old. Yeah, fair I'm not enough. exactly sure how fair old enough. Rainier I mean, like, is, but you know what I mean. Maybe maybe, it's, maybe I'm just not not very good at telling people's ages from faces. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, this time skip in particular, I feel like we were sort of owed as an audience an explanation for what the fuck happened after that, and we just don't mm-hmm. really get one. Like, yeah. he, he's there... Um, it's all passed over for some reason. Viserys is still fine with Alicent after all of that, and like Kristen Cole's is allowed to walk around free around the palace, um, even though like 
the other people that are living there like want his fuck like he's he he would be killed in most circumstances for this and then like and then he's just walking around and he's being so brazen about it and he's being so like open about how much he hates them and like it's one of these things that i just i think there was a bit of this in game of thrones as well where they were like a lot of some of the subtlety has to go out the window because you're doing a tv show and you can't show people's internal thoughts sort of yeah this is a problem i had at the later seasons of game of thrones as well where they're sort of towards the end when they were trying to really really shoe in that plot about them trying to get john in over danny which they did not set up for at all and was completely unearned even though it could have made sense if they'd have actually set it up over like multiple episodes and seasons and set up properly but they didn't um Mm -hmm. there was that whole scene where like varus who's been supposedly fighting to get danny in for like years suddenly decides to turn on her and he's loudly announcing that he's committing treason to everybody he meets which, as a mm-hmm. master spy, you would think he would be a bit more sneaky about that. Like, he's literally just like, oh, yeah, well, that poison didn't work. We'll do another poison tomorrow. Hey, Tyrion, how do you feel about treason? And, like, Tyrion's like, why are you tell- talking to me? And he's like, well, I feel like you'd be good down for some treason. And then he goes to John and he's like, hey, John, would you like to do some treason against your, girl- your-, your girlfriend slash cousin? And he's like, no. And he's like, why not, though? And it's like, what are you doing? Like every person who's smart in this show has just been reduced to stupidity for the f- for the sake of like plot rather than actual organic character growth, and I feel the like the characters can only be as smart as the writers, yeah, and the writers true. were very stupid. Very not stupid. the underlings; they were doing their best. Yeah, D- Dan and Dave though. <laughs> yeah, no, like honestly, like the fucking season five, that fucking Scooby Doo chase scene with the sand snakes, the bad pussy. All that Danny stuff. just kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet. She, she kind of forgot. I mean, like we've all been there. We've all kind of forgot about the. About her. They were on the map in the previous scene, but she just kind of forgot. The fucking ballist, like homing missile ballisti. Yeah, the sniping ballisti. Oh my god. <laughs> I fucking hate three it. perfect shots, like right in a row. Horrendous, absolutely shit. And, and, and like, it was supposed to be I like. Sh- yeah. <laughs> the worst part, well, you know, when they go on the wall to get a White Walker for evidence. And then they're like all trapped mm. on like a rock, and they're like, "Gendry, you are the fastest one." I'm like, "They would not set this up at all. Go run back to the wall by yourself." I guess it's just because he's the youngest. Like, I guess it's because he's the youngest. They just say, "We know you're the fastest. Run solo back to the wall." Because the other people in their party are like fucking Jora, Jora's old ass, and like, you know. Jon Snow having recently been resurrected from the dead, I guess, you know, like, I guess it makes sense that Gendry, but like, yeah, they did no setup, you know, and it was like, I did enjoy Tormund being like, you've got to give me the hammer, though. Yeah. That was a pretty good moment, but I just <laughs> so like Tormund Giant's Bane. Yeah, yeah. And his no, golden cock ring. Me too, but like, I was just interested that like, they've been here, like, like, well, this ha- the met, he ran back, sent the, sent the raven down, got them, Danny got the message, flew back on Dragonback, and this all took, what, like, less than three hours? And I'm like, and they were in Dragonstone at the time, right? Like that is near the southern end of the whole fucking continent, <laughs> right? Right, exactly. Like, wouldn't you have to cross the sea? You would have to get a boat as well. Like, it's, it's, it's. Uh, I guess she wouldn't because she's on a dragon, but still, she's like, on a dragon. Uh... Yeah, but still, she'd have to fly from the southern end of the continent all the way up there. It's like suddenly Westeros is like the size of like a small village. Like, there was a lot of joke in the fandom about Littlefinger having a TARDIS earlier, and that just got worse. Teleportation. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, I feel like it was one of the good things about House of the Dragon and being back, and one of the reasons why 
after like basically swearing off it until everyone else told me it was actually good is it does feel mm. like stakes are back which is a weird thing yeah. to think about a prequel series because usually where you know what's going to happen yeah yeah exactly like you know like one of the things about the star wars prequels is that you know what anakin skywalker is going to become so it's not really like oh will he be able to overcome this because you know he won't but i think maybe then that's the that's the exciting things about being much further back in that we're investing in a new set of characters just in the same world mm-hmm. and like the settings not the settings we know where the setting ends up but it's far enough away that it's not like it's not like they're setting it up and being like, ooh, this is how Han Solo got his jumper and stuff like that, like they do in a lot of prequel stuff where they're just unnecessarily mm-hmm. filling stuff in. Um, I feel like I must comment on this while the the subject is kind of basically here. The prophecy thing. Yeah. Like, speaking, speaking of those kind of callbacks that they try to make, like, this show... Uh, I've, I keep seeing people talk about how much it uh, takes them out of the moment, really, when we have the scenes with Viserys talking to Rhaenyra and more recently Rhaenyra talking to Damon about the Song of Ice and Fire and the importance of the dagger with the, uh, you know, the High Valyrian etched into it. Mm. Uh, people are like, oh, but the prophecy was wrong. Like, this is stupid. Like, why do they keep showing me this? That's the point. Okay, I know that none of you have read the books, so I'll tell you this. Um, Kat, you probably know the line. Yeah. Like, Archmaester Marwyn in the Citadel is, like, he's he's the guy who, like, actually knows about the occult shit. Like, he's the one who teaches it if you want to learn it. Mm. And he's kind of shunned by all the other maesters for that because the maesters really don't like magic. Um, they may, may have also been part of this Dance of the Dragons, Decline of the Dragons situation. Yeah, we'll come to see thing. if that's the case. Yeah. Um... But Marwyn says, you know, like, prophecy will bite your dick off every time. Like, you know, like he, he, he likens it to a, a fickle woman. I can't remember his exact wording aside from the ending. Like, but that's part of the point. Like, they keep showing you this prophecy and you in your mind, you're like, but the realm wasn't united. But there wasn't a Targaryen on the throne. But it wasn't a Targaryen who even killed the White Walkers. It was Aya. Like, it had nothing to do with the prince who was promised and nissa nissa or any of this shit um yeah it's because they want you to know that like prophecy is wrong when viserys has a vision of my son was born wearing egan's crown and uh i placed him on the iron throne and all the dragons roared as one what you don't know yet is that what that actually means is that his later born son called Egan, who was crowned with Egan's crown, and when he was put on the Iron Throne, all the dragons roared as one in warfare. Like everyone got pissed all at the same time instead of trumpeting as one, which is how he interpreted it. Like mm. prophecy will bite your prick off every time. You're supposed to be skeptical of it. Yeah, yeah. I sort of get though how it does make you think of the ending of a much of a and how bad it was. <laughs> True. <laughs> And, You're like, stop reminding me of that. I'm trying to enjoy myself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, if 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 Game of Thrones, like, if you forget the last couple of seasons, you could probably still make that work without that because there was this whole yeah. point, like, where because they have the whole R plus L equals J stuff and like all the Prince was promised stuff, and like clearly that means fucking nothing now. But because it was set up such a strong plot point, I think the taste of bitterness is just so bad. And so I don't think it's necessarily like people misunderstanding so much as like the promises to the reader slash watcher have been broken so fucking hard 
that it's really yeah. it really throws you out to be like remember this much worse moment from the show that you used to like like <laughs> i almost wonder if it's a little tip from george to be like hey guys like i know that you were unhappy with the ending in the sense that like dan and dave didn't set it up very well but it was never going to end the way that you expected it to because yeah. prophecy is not going to happen the way you want it to like even as much as we've hammered in i don't actually i can't really remember at this time how much of the prophecy shit we have in the books regarding the prince who was promised i feel like they went a little bit hammy with it in the show don't you like yeah. they, they really overplayed it definitely like it's i think one of the reasons why people get onto it so much because people remember when it's mentioned because it's like a repeated thing but it's also actually quite sparse like mm. it doesn't come up that often I mean, we don't even have the White Walkers truly yeah. in the book. So, like, you know, there's not as much reason to be constantly hyping up, oh, the prince who was promised will bring the dawn. Like, they really uh, went hard on that particular storyline in the show in a way that we just haven't, I maybe have just haven't gotten to in the books yet. But, yeah, certainly remains to be seen. Mm. It does seem like that's more of like a, like, I know, like it's more of like a, a religious, semi-religious thing. Like, I don't know how mm. much of that is actually going to be, on the minds of most of the characters, aside from like maybe maybe Mel Melisandre or something, it's just still around at the end. But if we get an end to these books, but yeah, <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah, that's another thing. Although I no, I I guess I take I take your point in that like the when you when they're referencing that, and you're thinking, ugh, well that didn't happen. That should be making you think of something. It should be teaching you something. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. And maybe maybe that would I mean I didn't it didn't work like that for me just because like I'm just like so still so angry at David and Dan, and I will say sure, that yeah. as someone who went to Croatia this year and went to all the fucking locations, I went to the fucking Game of Thrones museum and stuff, and like even so got my pictures on the throne and everything, and I'm still there like fuck this Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I just want you do the touristy things, but you're still angry. Exactly. I want a proper ending. I want. I want to know. I love this, but I hate it. Exactly. Exactly. Those are one of the thing, one of the reasons why like I love House of the Dragon so much. Come back into it. It's just it reminded me what I liked about it. It reminded me. Yeah. It's like the character moments, right? Yeah. Like that's what made it good. Yeah, exactly. Like it reminds you what you liked about Game of Thrones and like all the stuff that like you missed later on when it sort of became generic schlocky fantasy with a with like a this used to be good sort of feel. Like it's a very it's a very different feeling. It's sort of like and the same way that like I would compare this to the new Lord of the Rings show, which I don't think you've watched, right? Um, no. But like the new Lord of the Rings show on Amazon Prime, um, steal it. Jeff doesn't deserve money. Um, it's like it, it gives me that same feeling, but with Lord of the Rings, like a lot of the stuff I like, it feels very comfortable, comfy. It has a lot of the same vibes. It's a lot of the same themes, uh, and it, a lot of people say it's not as good. I I don't know if I agree with that. I quite like it, um, but you know, like it's one of these things where like I think they perfectly both capture a lot of the theme and the feeling of the original media. Even if they are like different and they have different things, I understand why people like one wouldn't like the other and stuff. And I do think it was a good idea for them to lead with this as one of the Game of Thrones spin-offs rather than one of the other yeah. seventy-five they originally planned. Like, wasn't like they meant to be like a prequel, like in the White Walker place coming out before this, and that would not have gone down well. I don't think after season eight. They yeah they were gonna do a long night series ten thousand years ago, like the original long night. Um, but yeah, I think they ended up scrapping that one. They have also talked about doing, uh, the, they reference it in the show when, um, 
was is it Visenya who burns all of her ships or I can't remember the name of the character. Like there's some she goes to Dorne and she burns all of her ships uh to show she's not going to go back or whatever. Like they were going to do that storyline which they may still do. I know we're still in active talks about a Jon Snow follow-up show, which I'm not really sure what that would be about. Nice. That I don't know. Like that might be trying to reconcile and fix some of this White Walker shit. Like maybe they go up north and like learn about the White Walker. Like what do you do with a Jon Snow? Right. You know, it's like a, what do you do? <laughs> like unless with him it's like a backdoor record. That. <laughs> But George seems excited about it, so, you know, he seems, like, to think it's a good idea, and I'm going to trust him. Like, even if we don't get A Dream of Spring um, or Winds of Winter, like, I I am going to enjoy what the man is producing in his current whatever. He's, He's, like, a big part of House of the Dragon, and I think he's a big part of why it's working so well. Like, they're listening to him on some details that they just didn't listen to him about before, and that's enabled... You know, that enabled that entire episode with the hunt. That was like one big sticking point for George was like this supposed hunt that they did in season one where it's just three guys trudging through the woods trying to kill a boar. (laughs) Like, no wonder he died. Um, (laughs) But yeah, like those things, I think, make the show feel the way that it does. And I personally like those little details, you know, like Balerion, the Black Skulls, uh, Blaring the Black Dread skull is black because his bones yeah. have a bunch of iron in them. You know, like I, I appreciate the detail. I definitely, definitely. I think that I think one of the good things about it sort of coming off a show that sort of that left a bad taste in people's mouths is that they've learned some lessons from it. And one of them is that people mm. like George R. R. Martin's ideas. Yeah, turns and out the world he's made, which like yeah, of course. I don't know why they didn't think that before. Like, I feel like when Game of Thrones first came out, there was a whole lot of this, like, oh, it's like fantasy, but for grown-ups. Like, the idea that, like... Yeah, like, they were embarrassed about about it a little exactly, bit. Exactly, exactly. They're like, oh, it's not, this isn't, this isn't, don't worry, this isn't, like, a children's story. This is, like, people die, and there's tits, and it's like, that's not really the yeah. point. Like, you can have a terrible <laughs> show with tits in it. Like, when you watch a porn, like, you're not there, oh, well, this story's great, so many tits. Like, it's not good. Like, <laughs> just because something has like, adult compartment parts to it doesn't make it like inherently better. Like people don't like the a lot of the DC movie super superhero movies lately because they've been like gritty for the sake of gritty. You have to have like the right balance of like it's working for the theme and the characters. And like everyone, like because George R. R. Martin built this world, he knows what it is, and like obviously he knows how to adapt for TV because he used to be a TV producer. And I'm glad he's back on it, even though I really wish he would just finish the fucking book because I've read so many Winds of Winter sample <laughs> chapters over and over again. I was the one person on the Song of Ice and Fire Reddit and the fucking forums when I used to go on Wiki of Ice and Fire forums, whatever they were called now. It's been so long, Westeros.org. And um, I was on there saying that like the people that thought that it was good, that the, 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 the um, Winds of Winter wouldn't be out by 2013 were so pessimistic. It's obviously going to come yeah. out this, like 2014 <laughs> at the fucking latest, I was saying. Oh my fucking God. My, I was the sweet summer child. And like, now I have become as jaded. That's j- torture. Yeah, now I've become as jaded as the rest of them. Um, and I will say, George R. R. Martin, like, he's an old man. But he's going to slow down and he might not finish. You know, there's the whole thing with the Wheel of Time where Robert Jordan was like, oh yeah, I'm never, I'm, no, no one's ever going to hand it over. And then he handed it over. I think it's going to end up being the same thing because there's no way he's finishing. And just based on what I've seen of his being in person recently, like he did, he hosted like an online Worldcon thing for World Science Fiction Convention a while back. 
And it was very clear mm. he's become the sort of old man that just sort of talks about the war for three hours without, like, unprompted. Like, he's not... Not that he's, like, not all there, but that he sort of got too old to give a shit about what other people want from him. And I think that will not work in his fa- in our favour. Obviously, he's done quite well out of it. But Oh, yeah, he's doing fine. Yeah, exactly. But, like, I don't know if we're going to get much out of it. Like, in the end of the day, he's an old man. Um, and... You know, he made a very good world, but I don't think he could be bothered to finish it at this point. And maybe that's fine. Maybe there's a good lesson to be learned in the fact that you can let two people who can't write deliver the ending to your book series you weren't sure about and get the feedback, oh, that's a shit ending, and then you can change it. Because then he was was going back and he was saying, actually, I've come up with this great plot twist in Winds of Winter, which will really change everything. And then he rewrote, like, everything he'd already written. And so it will be, if it ever comes out, it will be a drastically different ending. Although I'm quite worried that he's going to not finish it and we'll end up with um, Joe Abercrombie's Winds of Winter in like 2050 <laughs> or whatever. And I do think I am putting the name out there. That if anyone but Joe Abercrombie writes it, I will be very disappointed because he's the he's the one. He's like the spiritual successor to Martin in the fantasy world. And I'm sure there are lots of other people who'd like to take that. Please, for the love of God, do not give it to Brandon Sanderson. Do not. No. Oh my God. Listen, I tried to listen to the audiobook. My friend gave me the audiobook to The Way of Kings. And I was like, bro, you've started your book off with an action scene, and I'm <laughs> bored to tears. Like, like, that's as far as I've gotten is like I was on I was doing daily walks at the time and I got like maybe 15 minutes into this book. Yeah. As like a whole like the, he's using an action scene to describe the magic system. Yeah. So you're you're getting exposition and I'm like this is so boring. <laughs> you can't do this to people. Like and my friends like, "Oh yeah, like it's it's rough." And I'm like, "Yeah, but I'm not going to get through it. Like this is not how books and TV work for me anymore. I'm not going to wait. I watched the first episode of The Dragon Prince and was like, "Fuck this. I love Avatar <laughs> the Last Airbender and this show sucks dick and I don't want to watch it." Like you can you only get like maybe an hour of my time yeah. before I'm like no I'm good thank you like that's why the first episode of House of the Dragon works like even though they do step away a lot from the violence um for the rest of the season at least like there you know we get a lot of like just straight up brutality in that first episode yeah. um and it's really uncomfortable um in a lot of ways and we step off of that a little bit but like you need to hook people that's your fucking job as Definitely. like the first chapter of a book or the first episode of a show and please don't give it to brandon sanderson <laughs> anyone else almost anyone else i will i would almost rather you gave it to jk rowling oh no <laughs> i only said that because i thought it would make you laugh <laughs> oh my nightmare it all comes together historically two of my favorite authors collaborating in the worst way possible yeah oh no oh i used to love jk rowling Oh no! 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 (laughs) No! I will say, the Dragon Prince is good, but it's also cringe, and so I understand. Okay. (laughs) There are like multiple jokes about poo in like the same episode, and it will be like, and Mm. and they do do the thing where they do reference humor where it's completely unwarranted. Like the newest season, multiple characters do the floss dance, and this is a joke that's died like three years ago. And it's like that for the whole way through. So I completely understand. Mm-hmm. But it is not Avatar. And the only reason that I managed to go get, get into it is because I was told by my friend, if you like Avatar, this is nowhere near as good. 
And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I guess that's one way. Yeah, I could see that have being maybe prep work that would have made it easier for me to get into it. Yeah, you want like... <laughs> this, is, this is nowhere near as good. You want extremely dire avatar. Like, watered-down Diet Coke avatar. This is what oh, you're going to no. get. With, like, references to, like, Wonderwall memes and shit like that. It's... it's, it's... Anyway, I... <laughs> what were we talking about goodness gracious um, no so like yeah no definitely and um i feel like you especially in the age of like netflix and stuff i feel like there's a lot of people have decided they don't need to capture people in the first bit anymore like i remember well, like, a lot of the um early netflix shows like orange the new black and like jessica jones and stuff i'd tell people like watch the first three episodes because it's meant for binging mm-hmm. so they don't put the hook in until you've already been watching for like three hours and i think that's that's not you know no and i feel like it made a lot of people feel like they don't need to be as consistent with it. Brandon Sanderson, I think he did that with Way of King specifically because he was the he was already a best-selling author. He thought he could get away with it. Now, I don't think mm-hmm. anyone, no matter how well they sell, should be able to have three prologues to your book. And he does this in every mm. one of the Way of King's books, and they're all bad. Not, not the books themselves, but the prologues don't serve as much of a purpose as he thinks they do. And like, do I just need to skip ahead? Is that how I get into this book? Is by skipping all the stupid shit at the beginning? You might, but I will say, okay. Brandon Sanderson as a literary stylist, and don't come for me. I've learned a lot from Brandon Sanderson. I used to listen to Writing Excuses religiously. He's like, I've devoured like the entire Mistborn series to my shame, and like, <laughs> I hate Wheel of Time, but I appreciate him finishing it, even though I'll never finish it. Sorry to all the Wheel of Time fans. I've read through book five and like they said like well book four and five are the best and they were fucking atrocious so i stopped um, <laughs> but it's like the most mormon fantasy ever and if you've read this you understand no. what i mean um but like brandon sanderson's writing is sort of reminds me of like a fantasy version of what's the fucking guy who wrote da vinci code oh i don't remember john no that i don't remember his Dan name brown so it, Dan in, the, Brown. in the Da Vinci Code and his those similar thrillers, every chapter ends with a cliffhanger to get to the next chapter. And most of them are complete bullshit. And they'll just be designed to get you to turn the page. And so like, oh, he mm. saw something terrible. His shoe was undone or something like his shoe? His shoelace was undone. You know, something like that. Like they would they all lead you through. But like with Brandon Sanderson, I felt like his writing is good in a way because it moves quickly and gets you through it. And sometimes the world's interesting enough that you don't notice how shallow his character work is in that it just doesn't exist. So, like, in Mm -hmm. Way of Kings, part of the fun of it, for me originally, was it's sort of very Dragon Ball Z-like in that the plot is cool and the magic system is cool, but the characters are sort of nothing and the world is sort of nothing and feels kind of empty. And once you sort of notice that, it becomes really hard to read anymore. So I read the first three Mistborn Mm. books and thought they were incredible. And the fourth one, The Alloy of Law, was like a spin-off. And I just couldn't get back into it. And I think part of it was because they changed the setting to more of like an industrial thing. And so it sort of lost where I'd been grabbed in by the world. And I sort of you can sort of see where, where the cogs are just turning. It's sort of plot for plot's sake. It's very un-George R. R. Martin. And I think a lot of people are only saying Brendan Sanderson because he writes quickly and because he finished Wheel of Time. But... Brandon Sanderson doesn't do mm-hmm. character work like George R. R. Martin. He'd, he'd tell you that. He doesn't like soft magic. He likes hard magic systems with like very defined limits to their stuff, which is not George, it's not Game of Thrones. Um, he no. doesn't. Li- he, he's incredibly religious 
and he's open with this that he does not write books which involve sex or swearing and so why mm. would you get him to write one of the most explicit series that's in that's meant to be graphic on purpose like and he has said it to himself like i would be the worst person for this but the fact that people keep suggesting him suggests to me that people just think everyone who writes fantasy is just interchangeable like it's yeah they don't understand the difference in flavor here yeah exactly like i feel like there's some people that could finish game of thrones and do a pretty good job and those are like robin hobb and joe abercrombie and i don't think they'd be they wouldn't fit they still wouldn't fit because everyone's style is different and I feel like you would be able mm -hmm. to tell easily if Robin Hobb or Joe Gagabacobri had written it because their styles would go so different. But it would be less whiplash than getting someone who essentially writes like PG-13 books to go finish the tits and killing show. Yeah. <laughs> just don't. Just don't. Um, also, don't start with Way of Kings if you're going to read Brandon Sanderson. Just don't. Like, that's there for people who... Okay, this was my friend's fault then. Like, just recommending the wrong place to start. I will say, if you want to know if you're going to like Brandon Sanderson, I'd read the original Mistborn trilogy. Okay. And then, if you're not into that, then don't. It's sort of like, it's it's not 10 out of 10. It's popcorn. Band. It's popcorn books. They're popcorn. It's sort of the way that ends. It, they feel to me like everyone's going to get mad at me for this if they listen to it. I don't know how many people who are fans of fantasy are listening to this podcast, but this is like my wheelhouse. I write fantasy. I've been writing fantasy novels since I was 18. I have strong feelings about this. And now we brought up Brendan Sanderson, so I have to get into it. He is popcorn. He's like what the MCU is to fantasy. And that's fine because he writes like 7,000 books a year. We all need a bit mm -hmm. of that. But it's not going to be as deep as you want. Yeah, I mean, clearly, like, obviously, you know, we bitch and moan constantly about how George is not delivering these books quick enough. And it's like, well, too fucking bad. You enjoy <laughs> all the many hours that you get to spend theorizing with your friends on the Internet and de like diving into the dialogue and seeing all the hints and tricks everywhere. Like, if you like all that shit, then you got to be patient because, you know, those are the seeds that have been sown and they're ripening into fruit that, like, is going to grow in directions that are unexpected. So you have to just, like, let the man do his job. Yeah. He did, I did, uh, I keep up on the interviews a little bit and he said recently that he's, like, he feels like he's gotten, like, what, like 80% of Winds of Winter done. How, Obviously, how many years not... ago was that, <laughs> No, that's like that's like uh, as of House of the Dragon interviews. This this most recent cycle mm. of um, of of press tour. Yeah. But the thing is, like he so, so the Dance of Dragons came out in twenty eleven. Mm -hmm. It's now twenty twenty two. Yes, eleven <laughs> years later. <laughs> I have no idea what year it is. Everything's and we're still like March three hundred third twenty twenty to me. Like the time stop when the plague started, but like true. It's it's been 11 years. If he doesn't put it out in the next few years, we're never getting a Dream of Spring. <laughs> Just fucking never. And that's fine. Yeah. Maybe that's fine. Maybe we shouldn't finish it. Maybe maybe it's be like one of these like legendary series that like, you know, like the unfinished tales of whatever, like, you know, mm -hmm. Tolkien didn't finish the Silmarillion. His son had to finish, son, grandson, Christopher Tolkien had to finish it for him. Like... Sometimes it's better that way, and maybe it'd be better for us to never know the ending so we can't be disappointed. But I cannot deny <laughs> the amount of hours that I spent reading and rereading the books, going to like, going through the fan forums, going, going through Westeros.org, listening to like fan podcasts. Like, I hadn't been into something that hard since I was into Lost, and like, 
people have opinions on Lost as well, and I also have opinions on it. But, like, I will say that, like, I don't think you could have done a spin-off, like, a prequel spin-off series to Lost and have it gone down as well as you as they have done with House of the Dragon. Like, it really shows how much mm-hmm. of the world building has been done and how much of like, the work is there and how much is there is still to tell in that world. And I think it's really promising because I can't get enough of it, honestly. True, yes. I am uh, I'm looking forward to season two of House of the Dragon. They've been officially greenlit for that. Um, when is I it think it's going to be excellent. Oh, I mean, like, I don't know if filming has even started. This is um, it. Probably 24, This is my I problem guess. with it, because I just wanted more now. And I feel like they didn't know how know. well it was going to go down, because they just haven't bothered. <laughs> I would hope that they've at least done some pre-screening stuff. Like, I hope that it's written. You know, I hope that season two is at least partially written. It would be nice. At this point. I mean, in my... But yeah, I think we're looking at 2024. Maybe maybe we might get back into the Game of Thrones-style April releases. I, I'm not totally sure. Yeah. I mean, my dream for this series is they just carry on through the history. Like, they just keep going. Yeah. Like, do... I mean, I wouldn't say just carry on, because, I mean, like, I would say, like, a good... Like, after the end of this conflict, like, I think that we... I can't remember how far separated in time it is, but you've got the um, the Blackfire Rebellion, which is yeah. going to be important to cover. Like, obviously, you don't need to cover every single king because some of them are like Jaehaerys, where there just kind of isn't much going on. Um, but, like, I don't know how I feel about Aegon's uh, conquest being portrayed. Because, like, that, there is something about it being sort of shrouded in mystery like him as a human being, I mean, yeah. that I kind of enjoy. Like, there's a mythos surrounding it um but i'm not going to be disappointed if they do end up exploring that avenue no and it's definitely like one of these things about like having if you're doing it something like that where it's like it's there's a definite timeline and linearity to it same with robert's rebellion like mm-hmm. I, I enjoy all those characters i'm sure i wouldn't be upset to see them all again but we know oh, i want going. to see like the guy who plays gendry to play robert baratheon as a young man i want to see that actor play a completely different person in the robert baratheon role that'll, like that's what i cool. want out of that that'll be cool and joe dempsey grew up down the road from me so i'm, I'm, I'm happy for him to go places so like he's literally nice. just from down the road from where i grew up um but no like so i i like ideally like maybe do like an anthology thing but i want to see the second dance of the dragons i want to see the tales of duncan egg on tv like mm-hmm. I, I, I want that. I want to see Blood Raven. I want to see Blood Raven on the screen. I feel like they did, they didn't, they didn't do him justice in Game of Thrones. I want Blood Raven. Like I just thought that's mm-hmm. it. I just want Blood Raven. I don't know why. I don't know why I got this. This is like, uh, this is like when I see like a documentary with Fidel Castro on, where they're just pointing at the screen like, oh my god, it's that guy. Like sometimes mm-hmm. there's just characters with like charisma you just need to see. And I don't know why my choices there were Fidel Castro or Blood Raven, but there we go. I mean, Brendan Rivers is kind of savage, though. Yeah, maybe they could do a Castro thing with him. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, there is. There's just so much you can do with this world. Um, uh, even notwithstanding, like us complaining about the uh, the main line, "A Song of Ice and Fire" series not being completed. Like cinematically, story wise, and everything. Like you can really explore a lot of of different human dynamics it's true oh shit there's one more thing i wanted to talk about before we get to closing um how the fuck did they make me see matt smith as anyone but the doctor i know i mean i was that's like part of why i watched the show was because i feel like uh matt smith's doctor is kind of a villain yeah no Um, definitely that's and i yeah so I was excited to see him play this character who's kind of a villain. Um, and they did such a good job. 
They did such a good job. The one thing that I did, I wanted to comment on earlier that I kind of missed out was like, speaking of the uh, like sex scenes, like there's so much of a focus on hands. I don't know if you noticed that, but like basically all of the sex scenes, perhaps with the exception of the one with Damon and Rhaenyra as adults, because it was so dark, you can hardly tell what the fuck anybody's doing. Um, uh, but there's like this weird focus on hands, like the moment w when uh, Kristen Cole and Rhaenyra are having sex and they grasp hands was like probably the most erotic moment for me, which is like, I guess, part of what I mean when I'm thinking of like the female gaze, like there's this focus on things that are really strange to focus on with our typical lens of how we do sex scenes in media. Yeah, 100 percent. And it's so backwards as well that we sort of got this as place but it is you do think about like the sort we sort of de desensitized like the scenes of like people fucking like straight fucking on tv but when you see mm -hmm. people holding hands it genuinely feels like a like something revolutionary it's like charged yeah exactly yeah. it's got more emotion to it um also like when so okay well if we talk about when they when they when they had sex on the beach do they just mm -hmm. have those tents out there for fucking it's like a weird lean too that's just kind of there i guess like where are they <laughs> they're just out on the beach and let's have like several of these tents they're like perfect size to like someone to like just fucking i don't like who, who these guys like Corliss and allison just there like uh, uh? how is there not sand in all of their crevices and their hair this is what this is what like Rhaenyra was lying down on something. He's gonna have his like um Damon's gonna finally was have his Anakin moment. Yeah, he's gonna be like, no, that sand oh, is no. driven me into the darkness. And that's why it gets abusive later on. <laughs> <laughs> I also Oh god. Yeah, I did not like that moment. I felt that it was I mean, they've established Damon as like, you know, comp complex character, but that I kind of felt was fairly outside of his wheelhouse of like behavior that I would have expected from him. I guess part of that is those because we're seeing this through Rhaenyra's sort of point of view, right? So like at the beginning when she yeah. sees him like as an adult, when she's more of a child, she sort of sees him more clearly. Like she sees how violent he is with the city guard. She sees how rough he can be and how her dad reacting to him like that is sort of fair. And then she sort of grows up and mm -hmm. sort of becomes more like sympathetic to him, partially because she is attracted to him. She sees him much more sympathetic light. He seems much softer. Whereas, like, we saw, like, even when he first tries to seduce her, he seems, like, incredibly emasculated by the idea that she'd have any agency in them having, like, sex. Like, she, like, tries to basically be a top in that scene, and he's, like, completely, really pissed off with it. And I feel like part of that is sort of coming back and later on, like, without, like, when the sort of honeymoon phase ends with those two, and she can sort of re-see him as she did when she was a kid, like, this very sort of prideful angry man who's out to prove himself because he was not chosen for the throne and he what his birthright mm -hmm. wasn't given and all this stuff and he's never going to be satisfied with that i i don't know i it, like it did feel like it was a little bit out of nowhere but and it, but it would have felt more so if they hadn't had these scenes in the first two episodes with him basically inventing the concept of the police in westeros with its initial violence. I mean, he stuff, does like... murder his first wife. Yeah, so exactly. there is that too. Exactly. And sort of like when we don't see him like that, it's sort of because we're seeing him through Rhaenyra's eyes, I, I, I feel. Like, I don't think. I feel like that's fair. Yeah. Like, he didn't treat his. Um... I was going to say, because, yeah, there was no there was no indication with his wife, Lena, that he was violent or domestic. But I also think that he was just more detached from her. Definitely. Like his relationship with Rhaenyra is way more charged. And like they they are more like 
infatuated and involved with one another yeah. than he would have been with Lena. Especially because, like, to him, so, like, Rhaenyra yeah. is, like, also, like, his access to power and stuff as well. So that's part of, like, the, mm-hmm. the, the sexualization of power and the conflation of sex and power in the way that people like to talk about in, like, philosophy and shit. But, like, the mm-hmm. idea that, like, with her, not only does he get, like, to, you know... But he also gets, like, the, the access to power that he was previously denied by her becoming the queen... the crown princess um Mm -hmm. and also like with lena like i feel like a lot of it is like sort of this transactional idea because she was like um a a sex worker he has this idea that he doesn't have to put emotion in he doesn't have to care and she's disposable whereas like you can't really act like that with someone who's actively giving you power and i think it's quite clear towards the end that he begins to resent that a lot that she is the reason why he has power and not him himself because he's always had been very prideful yeah, well, I wonder, too, if it maybe has... I I can see that. I'm offering an uh, alternative view on it. Um, I think also that he he really was very critical of Viserys' reign and was like, you're, like, a weak king. Like, things are not getting done under your watch. Like, uh, plots are brewing, and you're just letting that happen. Um and so I think that he does feel like if Rhaenyra follows too much in Viserys' footsteps, that the realm is kind of fucked. Um, and the Tar- not more than that, but the Targaryen family is fucked, which is like his priority is his family and like the, the you know, survival of the Targaryen lineage and their possession of dragons and all that. So I wonder if he kind of in that moment, like I imagine as the younger brother to the king who you grew up with and used to be more on equal footing with, like... Sometimes you probably just want to throttle your brother and be like, stop being such a pussy ass bitch. Like, and because Rhaenyra is a woman and also he has this sort of possessive ownership over her as uh, her husband, like he can do that to her, which he, he could not have ever done that to Viserys. Like he could not have ever expressed his frustration with Viserys uh, rule in that way. Um, And so, yeah, like it's an exercise of power and, and like a way of because yeah like he could not ex, he could not exert that kind of physical dominance and power over Viserys but he can with Rhaenyra it's true and I sort of see it on his face when on Matt Smith's face when he asks when he asks that part out that like he sort of this is something that he's been thinking about for a while and he's let it out and I don't think it's gonna be coming back in the bottle soon so we'll probably see more of that in season two um oh he's gonna get more and more unhinged I'm sure yeah yeah um so i mean look forward to that i mean i i do enjoy seeing matt smith as the villain as i said like when he so when i first came in in there i was like it's just matt smith like one of the good things about game about game of thrones or the original series is that a lot of the characters especially after season one after sean bean is killed is um there are a lot of unknowns and it was very good to sort of grow up with them and get to know them whereas like once you cast someone like matt smith in it's like well we already know who you are like it's a lot harder mm-hmm. um but no he, he did he did he did work it despite very much looking like matt smith like there's one problem with matt smith and it's that he's an incredibly distinctive face like you cannot unsee that's it. true you can't unsee it you can sort of fall into it but you can't really unsee it and i don't know like i, I I... I think everyone else being relatively unknown helps this a lot. Definitely. I mean, like, maybe that's just my U.S. privilege showing that I'm, like, I'm only just now realizing that Patty Considine is a fucking amazing actor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I don't know most of these other people. I did not know who uh, Emily Cook was. I didn't know who Emma Darcy was. Didn't know Patty Considine. Um, I, I, I guess I have seen a bunch of movies with Reef, uh, Reese 
in it yeah uh, auto hightower but i didn't know that until i was watching a video earlier that pointed out that he was like the lizard guy in spider-man and i was oh, like okay. what <laughs> i was gonna say if when, when you like i will i will say that you that you you know when king viscerous first turns up he's like oh my god it's that guy like you're not gonna be like he's not like a household name but like you, you've seen him before and he was really good in it like it, but it's not as distracting mm-hmm. i think because like matt smith's got such distinctive face um, I think, and because because yeah, but Matt's the only one who breaks that immersion in that way. I mean, yeah, but I think also everyone who's played the Doctor sort of ends up that way. Like David Tennant never really escaped being the Doctor, and obviously now, like, <laughs> and now he's back. And- <laughs> is he now officially the Doctor again? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so it's like the the whole curse of it because like he did a bunch of stuff afterwards, and everyone just saw him as the Doctor in it, and now he literally yeah. is the Doctor again. So it's like what the. F- the f- Anyway, um, but it was interesting to try and see it in the role, and I, I really enjoyed it. And yeah, no, um, it's going to be good. I hope Wind, Winds of Winter is coming soon. Please let season two come out before the world ends. Um, True. Yeah, House of the Dragon. There we go. That's. I mean, it's not really a review. It was more of just a discussion. But I like the discussion. We had a good time. Um, should we wrap yeah. up now or try and go for another one? We should probably wrap up and try again, right? Maybe we'll have more to say on like on the midterms next week when more stuff is clear yeah i think that's probably a wise choice um uh we can talk about midterms and like our our shared political situations uh on uh after things have sort of settled i I know that your your prime minister situation like the shift has already occurred and all that um yeah but yeah we're still waiting for results to come in on these midterms yeah so we're well on our way for a year of the four prime ministers we've got three so far um, I'm also incredibly, and we'll talk about this next week, but I'm, I'm, I'm very frustrated about the discourse, especially coming out of like much more centrist outlets, acting like he's somehow a progressive choice just because he's brown. He's the richest mm. MP in the chamber. Like he's a, he's a billionaire. We'll, we'll get into this, but like it's, it's, it really just goes to show like how willfully ignorant people can be. And how much people just think politics is just a vibe and material conditions of the people starving just doesn't fucking matter. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll come back to that later. Fake yeah. fake politics this week, real politics next exactly. week. Exactly. And, and, and honestly, I prefer the fake politics. Like, this was good. I love gaming. Lo- what makes you want to write again? Like, I love writing fantasy. I, I didn't know that we had this in common, so that's exciting to me because I love writing. Like conceptually, I'm not really like practiced at it anymore, but I love it conceptually and storytelling and all that. So that's cool. There we go, new writing group for the podcast. There we go. <laughs> it's gonna be good. No, I just get back into it. Like I've not done a lot of it since I became an academic because like there's no fucking time. But I've realized how mm-hmm. good it is for like, my health. It feels very therapeutic to write, and I've sort of got a bit of that with YouTube. But it stretches a different itch. Like um, for sure. Yeah. But speaking of. Um, if you want to support this podcast, you can go to my Patreon at patreon.com slash Bridget Empire, B-R-I-G-I-T-T-E-E-M-P-I-R-E. Um, the people to support us so far have been really helpful. Like this, So just to be clear, uh, I pay for the hosting fees through the Patreon. So if you're paying, you're paying directly for that. And also you get like cool stuff like my videos released early and things like that. Um, if you care about that. If you don't, well, you get them anyway. Um <laughs> Yeah, and um, the people that support me so far, uh, Naranea, sitting next to me, uh, Joey Cobalt, Naomi Wayne, Scarjan, and Charles TS MTMS. Uh, thank you so much for that. Um, there's also Lux Anders Patreon. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm just at, uh, <laughs> yeah, patreon.com slash Luxander. Um, 
if you want to pitch me a dollar, uh, I'm about to be, uh, not only am I supporting myself on this income, but I'm about to be living without the benefit of a roommate soon. So, uh, if you want to pitch me a dollar, I'd appreciate it. You can check out my YouTube channel. Um, we get, uh, have you gotten a handle on your YouTube channel? Cause I have a handle now it's at Luxander real. And I think that that also works in the URL, like oh, youtube.com slash Luxander real. Um, because they wouldn't let me just set it to Luxander. So <laughs> yeah, feel free to look me up and check those things out and definitely support, uh, this podcast. If you want, uh, the cool perks already mentioned. Yeah. And I'd, to be clear, one of the good things, one of the things I want to do with this podcast patreon is if you if you're a supporter you can ask questions directly to us and we will answer every question put pulled by a patreon because you are paying for this and helping us out um but also mm -hmm. i would like my friend to be able to afford to live so that's also that true <laughs> um i appreciate yeah, it yeah no worries um, i i will say that i got the email about the youtube handles like five times i know i did a fuck it man and i've ignored it so i will take a look at that literally right now because if someone takes my incredibly specific, like the fucking dragon name I chose for myself, I'll be very annoyed. So I need to snag that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for coming to your phone or wherever you are. And we'll see you next time to talk about the world burning again. Yay! Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>